following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, we're continuing our study in the book of Titus this morning. Um, we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and that's page 998 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Um, and some of this may sound familiar uh, to you this morning because this is a parallel passage um, to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, which we looked at not very long ago, uh, actually back in May. Um, so um, if you were paying attention then, it may sound familiar. If it's all new this morning and you were here in May, maybe we should talk a little bit. <laughs> uh, before we get started, let's open a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful uh, that you have brought us here this morning. We're thankful for your word and for the truth, um, the truth of your word. And Lord, we thank you for the grace, uh, your grace, that allows us to read it freely, to study it together, and to apply it to our lives. I pray, Father, that your spirit would speak now, um, that our hearts would be in tune with yours, and uh, we would hear you uh, and, and not, not just me. We'll love you, Lord, and we give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this, uh, this coming week, a very special week for Crossroad Church. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Uh, yeah, because it's my birthday. <laughs> Me and Zach have a birthday to celebrate this week on the same day. Um, I wanted to tell you a little story, and it may be familiar to some of you and, and may be new to others. Um, back in 2012, um, I accepted the call to come to West Ossipee and serve as a pastor for Ossipee Valley Bible Church. Um, um, you may have heard of that before, some of you, maybe not others. Um, I often refer to Ossipee Valley Bible Church as the old church when I talk about it. Um, when I was called to the old church, um, one of the things that I asked for um, was a copy of the church's constitution, um, which is just a document that uh, defines how the church uh, operates, um, uh, who its officers are, you know, do you have a a board or elders, how it's governed, that sort of thing. Um, and we have one here at Crossroad Church, but it's vastly different from the one that I received back in 2012. Um, and after looking at that thing, uh, it's very clear that things need to change um, in old church. In fact, uh, in one of those early meetings, Forrest stood up and said, everything here needs to change. <laughs> Now, I've been around the church for a long time, and I've never been in a meeting where anybody, let alone one of the senior members of the church, stand up and say, everything here needs to change. <laughs> church and change don't often go together. Um, but uh, So we began a process back then of starting over. We tore up the old constitution, uh, which had almost zero biblical basis at all, and would draft a new one. Uh, and we called the Secretary of State and officially closed Ossipee Valley Bible Church. 
Um, they didn't even know about it, so it was an easy phone call to make. They knew about the Avent Christian Church of West Ossipee, which was the official name of the church then. Uh, so we went around and changed everything but the phone number and the color of the carpets. Two things I regret. <laughs> it's all right, no big deal. <laughs> On September 26 of 2012, which also happened to be my birthday, uh, <clears throat> 26th, that's Wednesday. <laughs> We met here in this room, the group of people that were here at the time, and held the last official meeting of the membership of Osby Valley Bible Church. And we voted to close the church. It was the, uh, the joke was, everybody that votes tonight, you're voting on voting away your right to vote. I say, no more voting anymore. Um, and at that same meeting was born Crossroad Church. Um, and that's a pretty special thing in my heart. Um, and I say all of this uh, not um, not only to praise God for His work here in the last six years, but also to point out the luxury that we enjoyed as being able to start fresh with a renewed vigor to hold fast to what the Bible actually says about how the church should be. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ across the country and across the world don't have that freedom to go around redefining things and taking paintings down off the wall and stuff like that. It's just not allowed. But we do, or we have. And gone are the days of having an official board, which oddly enough, they, most of them didn't know they were board members back then anyway, which was funny. <laughs> Um, and those days are gone, and congregational votes are gone. And instead, we, al- we are free to follow the biblical model for, uh, for eldership, for watch care of the flock, which is our church family. And God has blessed us as a result, I believe. John Calvin wrote, This is remarkable applause bestowed on the word of God when it is pronounced to be sufficient, not only for governing the teachable, but for subduing the obstinacy of enemies. And indeed, the power of truth revealed by the Lord is such that it easily vanquishes all falsehood. It's no mistake that we follow biblical model for what church families should be like because the church belongs to God. It's designed by God. And it's foolish for us to think that we should do church in a better way than God already has defined And it is with regard to the complete sufficiency of the Word of God for governing the affairs of the church and with the great blessing of freedom that we enjoyed in those days to change to a more biblically faithful pattern that we turn and look at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Paul writes to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remain into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered 
or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also rebuke those who contradict it. May God's blessing be on his word this morning. Now, we've discussed in the last few weeks um, that uh, Titus was left on the island of Crete after Paul had spent a short time there uh, with his team planting churches. It's not the first time the gospel reached the island of Crete, uh, but it was the first time that those uh, people who believed in the Lord Jesus were gathered together in groups called the churches. But they weren't finished yet, and Titus was given the work of completing them. Uh, Titus stay, uh, I'm sorry, Paul's stay there on Crete was short enough that he didn't, uh, he didn't hang around long enough to organize the churches, so it left Titus behind to finish that work. And this letter that we're reading this morning functioned as instruction for Titus as well as uh, Paul's endorsement of Titus to the churches. Hmm. I'm, I know, I'm fighting with myself here. This, this may well be very uninteresting and, uh, to you. I say, um, elders, great. Yes, we do that. Amen. Let's move on. Um, what does it really have to do with us? And I can't stress enough the importance of being, uh, the grace that God has extended us to follow His Word in this way. I, I, I will never get over that. <laughs> I've served in several different churches and just not free to be able to do things the way God has described. And it's overwhelming to me to have this freedom. So I, I, it's one of those things that uh, maybe we don't appreciate it because we don't fully understand it or don't ever think about it. Um, but what we have is a wonderful blessing from God. And it is from God and not from us. Hmm. So Titus is given this task of putting what remained in order. And what was remaining um, was making the churches, uh, what was making the churches on Crete, the island of Crete, incomplete was the appointment of elders in the churches. Now in Paul's view, According to verse 5 there, churches without elders were lacking. Now, this, um, if you think about that, um, would you rather have a church that's complete or incomplete, lacking or not? Um, so, a church that tried to function without a biblical model of eldership is lacking, according to this word. And this was true of the old church. Um, and it's true of many churches today that reject the biblical model of eldership and then replace it with man-made systems of church government. You know, get to be the chairman of the board and the secretary and, and all that sort of stuff. So what were the elders that Titus was to appoint in every church supposed to be like? And Paul gives a succinct list of moral qualities, some positive and some negative, 
to measure the men that should be appointed to this work as well as clear definition of what that work actually was. And the more I read this passage and think about my role and the role of the other elders here in the church, wow, are we dependent on God's grace. (laughs) Because this is a tough list. And now read this and think, oh boy, if man alive, (laughs) if everybody knew how, you know, anyway, this is the list that God has given and it is only possible by God's grace. The first thing is an elder must be above reproach. Paul actually uses the phrase above reproach twice in the text here, and he means the same thing both times. It's that an elder must be beyond accusation. Well, there's no, who, nobody would accuse him of anything because they know his character. He must have an unblemished reputation. And it's so important for a church family, uh, for those that lead it and care for it to be above board and to be known as being that way uh, to everybody. The simple truth is that the reputation of the Lord and the reputation of the church hang on the reputation of those that are put there to lead and care for it. Um, If I'm known in town as a jerk and uh, cheat on my taxes and beat my wife and children, what kind of church does that make you? Right? So that's very important uh, that the elders be above reproach. The elder must also be a husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. I need to have a conversation with my kids after service. But uh, (laughs) the truth of the matter is a Christian living, a Christian service must begin at home. The long and the short of it is, it's easy to come here and uh, come for service and sit here politely, stand up during the singing uh, and not fall asleep during the sermon and then go home and, it, and nobody, nobody knows any different about you. Um, but the truth is, our families are um, the best witness to what our what our character is really like. And that's true for all of us, not just for the elders. It's especially important for elders, but it is true for everyone. Um, our greatest ministry is to our families. I was told as a, as a younger man, um, when I first going into ministry, or actually I've been in ministry for a little while, um, by... Um, By a pastor's kid saying, please don't be like my dad. Don't leave our family at home and, and go away for meeting after meeting and make sure the church comes first and that we're always second or third at best. Um, that was a difficult pill to swallow, um, but I try my best. Um, uh, you guys are important and I love you. But if I fail my wife and my children, I'm a failure to you and to the Lord. And that's true of all our elders as well. The husband of one wife. I'm really glad there's tissues up here just for me. (laughs) I make a mess up here. 
the husband of one wife is a is a uh, among the most debated phrases in Scripture. Uh, the phrase certainly means that polygamy, meaning having more than one wife at the same time, is prohibited. But does it mean that men that were married once and have unfortunately been divorced and then remarried are forbidden from being elders? Thank you for not trying to answer. It would be messy. The, the phrase, the husband of one wife, is more accurately translated a one-woman man. And the scholars are divided on this issue, and the way that it's worded makes it less than clear. I know I've said these words before. And though it is uh, preferable and quite honestly simpler and easier to have elders that have only been married once because you don't ever have to have the conversation about it, I don't believe that this phrase prohibits a man uh, or prohibits men that have been divorced and remarried from serving as elders. Um, although each case must be handled individually and delicately with much prayer and discernment. In general, I believe that it's safe to say that the man who aspires to the office of elder should be satisfied with a single wife and not swayed by any other. One wife is enough work. I mean, enough of a blessing. You don't need to be selfish about more, needing more blessing. That's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I meant to say. <clears throat> Moving on. I might have just had my birthday taken away. Well, what about the children? Paul mentions the, the elder's children. It says his, believers, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, to be clear, Paul is talking about actual children, like little ch- children that still live at home uh, and under the authority of their father, not adult children. Um, adult children are responsible for themselves. Um, an elder uh, a father is not responsible for the decisions um, of his adult children. Um, yeah, you're off the hook. Uh, <laughs> We're both in trouble, man. This is going to be a rough afternoon. Um, Since an elder's ministry, and all of our ministry really, begins at home, an elder's children mirror what his ministry is really like and and what his watch care over the church family will be like. Um, I think that's important. one of our elders used to say that uh, you you want to see what I'm really like. Look at my look at my family. Look at my kids, uh, and I think that's that's exactly why. Um, not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. I know pastors' kids have a pretty bad reputation when the, uh, in, in the church. Debauchery is excessive sensuality, and insubordination obviously is n- never following instruction of, of their parents. Um, and uh, so, good job, Kenistons. You're, you're doing okay. Okay. Well. <laughs> yeah. I, whatever I can do at this point. Um, this is not going well. Verse seven says, "For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach." And here we get a piece of the job description 
um, in the phrase God's steward. This is a very important word. Um, God, uh, Paul, well, God through the Apostle Paul uses the word elder and overseer interchangeably. So anytime you see in scripture the word elder or overseer and the one time the word pastor shows up, he's talking about the same thing, the same role. Um, he isn't talking about two different people or two different offices. Um, one word refers to the character of the man and the other to his work. And that work is to be God's steward. Now, a steward is not like the guy on the love boat. Uh, a steward in the first century was a household manager. Um, the steward was in charge of the affairs of the house, making sure everyone was fed and cared for, that the bills were paid, and everything in the household operated smoothly. And this is the work of the elders, to manage the affairs of the household of God, um, the church family. The elders are responsible for making sure the church's bills are paid with the help of the treasurer and that the building is maintained and, uh, and most importantly that the church family is cared for spiritually, uh, fed from the word, prayed for regularly, counseled and encouraged and guided in the truth, making sure that ministries are in place to help us all grow and mature as disciples of Jesus Christ uh, from the youngest to the oldest. And that's what being a steward of God's household is. And those who are entrusted with this stewardship, according to verse 8, must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. I'm not sure how much more explanation that needs. Um, elders must not be proud, angry, drunken, greedy bullies. Um, though this list is pretty straightforward, it's important uh, it is so important given the opportunity for temptation in each of these areas. Mm. I'm sure there's more than one story uh, in this room of people who have interacted with church leaders um, that struggle in these areas. Being proud or being anger, angry or <laughs> drunkenness or greedy or bullies. Um, think about it for a minute. To be appointed as king of the hill, right? Potentially, uh, in charge of potentially disagreeable people who honestly give a lot of money to ministry that you are in charge of dispersing and distributing and given the task of directing the affairs of the church when people may not see things the same way as you, but you still have to make things happen, even if it means pushing people around to get, uh, to get your things done and maybe even using alcohol or other substances as a coping mechanism to deal with all that stress. Paul is making it very clear that we need men who are not already prone to this kind of thing before they are appointed to this kind of work. So instead of being an arrogant, quick-tempered, drunken, greedy bully, an elder, according to verse 8, is to be hospitable, a lover of good, Self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Hmm. An elder's home should be a ministry center, an open and welcoming place to those in need. An elder should literally be a lover of strangers. That's what the word hospitable means. Philozenos is a lover of foreigners and a lover of all good things, all that's good in people, in things, in actions, and in his surroundings. An elder should be self-controlled, 
prudent in his behavior, moderate and sensible. An elder should be upright. That means to be just in the eyes of people and to be holy, set apart in the eyes of God and disciplined, having power over himself and his passions. You wonder why we are so dependent on God's grace? Um, and really, how many of us are not uh, should not be this way, right? This, uh, this is wonderful character qualities for any follower of Christ because Paul is describing Christ himself. He is this way. And finally, it's the second half of the work in the el- of the elder in verse 9. 1 Timothy 3.2 says that an elder must be able to teach. And here Paul expands that definition in verse 9. He says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Um. Paul challenged Timothy in his second letter to rightly handle the word of truth. And that's the charge here to Titus. To hold firm to scripture, the trustworthy word. To instruct, to correct, to refute false teaching. To apply the word of God correctly and judiciously. This doesn't have to be just from the pulpit. I'm not the only one that has this job. But it can be in any conversation, in a class, in a car, in anywhere, in any context. This is so important because the results of pastors and elders departing from the trustworthy word of God and its doctrine are deadly. And the consequences are eternal. We can't afford to mess around. John Calvin again said, nothing is more dangerous than that fickleness when an elder does not steadfastly adhere to that doctrine of which he ought to be an unshaken defender. In short, in an elder there is, there is demanding, demanded not only learning, but also such zeal for pure doctrine as to never depart from it. To be qualified as an elder, a man must be a capable handler of the word, the word of God. He must understand it, He must hold fast to it. He must encourage others by teaching it. And he must refute those who oppose it or contradict it. It's a pretty tall order. And uh, perhaps uh, you're still thinking that none of this has anything to do with you. That this is a sermon for me and for Mr. Aaron and for Craig. And uh, the rest of you guys got to be here too. Thanks a lot. Um, but it is my great pleasure, as always, to tell you that if you're thinking that, you are wrong. <laughs> I'm going to refute uh, your incorrect thinking, if that's what you think. And I'm giving you credit for thinking at all. Um, <laughs> maybe just totally checked out this whole time. It's no problem. I know when to stop listening because the pastor gets up there to start talking. Uh, Some of you here today are already elders, so this clearly has been for you. Some of you here are potential elders, though you may not know it, or um, regardless of how you might feel about it, you may still be a potential elder. Uh, Some of you are not potential elders at all. (laughs) But all of you 
whether you are an elder or a potential elder or not elder or never going to be an elder, every single one of you can be praying for those who are called to this work. Not just for our elders here in this family, but all the elders in the entire church family because the church is all over the place. We're not the only one. We're not the only one that's doing it right. I don't know that... Well, I'll leave that alone. Maybe we're not getting it right. We're trying. We need to be praying for those who are given this work because this work is so important. There's nothing more important in this world to the Lord than His church. Do you know that? And this is His design. And we are His people. Our elders are His men charged with stewarding His household. So what greater thing can we do for them than pray for them? I think that's important work too. And again, I thank God for the grace that He has extended to us that we are free to actually do what His Word asks us to do. And what a wonderful blessing that is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the great blessing that it is to be part of the church that you have designed, that you gave your life on a cross for, that we're not just a, a, an organization uh, invented by people um, who, who think alike or just like to be around each other, but that we exist as a church family to reach out in love to those who don't know you as Savior, who don't know the forgiveness that you have offered to them, that don't know that you died in their place on the cross. I pray that um, we would not be satisfied with just doing things right on the inside, but we would continue to reach out in love to those around us that don't know you yet or that are looking for a church home, a church family. And I thank you for the blessing of being your children we trust you with the results of the preaching of your word this morning we love you and thank you in Jesus name amen if you would like to participate in the mission of crossroads church through financial support checks can be mailed to crossroads church post office box 576 west ossipee new hampshire 03890